Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Warning Signs. Amen. Well, in addition to the New Testament, um, other writings, Christian writings from the first century have been discovered. These writings, very important right from the beginning, that have been discovered from the first century are what theologians call non-canonical. In other words, they were not included purposely in the canon of the scriptures, so they are not inspired. But even though they're not inspired, they give us some good insights into early Christianity nonetheless. Again, we do not, we certainly do not look at these writings as God's word, but they help us understand some of the issues that the early church dealt with. So one of these early writings is known as the Didache. Have you ever heard of the Didache? Let me just see your hands if you have heard of the Didache. Okay, so a few people. The Didache or the teaching of the 12 apostles. The Didache was discovered in 1883 in a monastery in Constantinople. Many scholars believe it dates back to the first century. And so um, this document, this early Christian writing, uh, was circulated from church to church to church in the first century to give instructions to everyday Christians. And so the Didache, one of the subjects in, the, in that document, has to do with exposing false teachers. In that document, there's a warning to churches about itinerant or traveling preachers. And so in that day, just like in our day, there were so-called apostles, right, self-appointed, so-called apostles and prophets. And these guys would travel from city to city to city, and they would teach false doctrine. And of course, here's their motive, they would always ask for money. And so check out what the Didache says about this in chapter 11, verses 4 and 5. It says, let every apostle, and that should be in quotes, by the way, who comes to you be received as the Lord. He will remain one day, and if it be necessary, a second. But if he remains for three days, he's a what? (laughs) He's a false prophet. And so you got these guys traveling around from city to city, church to church, and They're not just staying one day. They're trying to melt the church for a long period of time. They're not true apostles. Look at what the next verses say in verse 6. And let the apostle, when departing from the church to whoever's housing him, take nothing but bread until he arrive at his resting place. But if he asks for money, he is a what? He's a false prophet. Look at verse 9. And every prophet who, I love this, orders in the Spirit, right? Oh, the Holy Spirit is telling me to say this to you. And every prophet who orders in the Spirit that a table shall be laid shall not eat of it himself, but if he do otherwise, he's a what? Right, these guys in the Spirit, you know, the Lord's telling me this church family is supposed to uh, have a great potluck this afternoon, a great feast, and I should be the guest of honor. False prophet. Look at verse 12. But whoever shall say in the spirit, give me money. This is first century. This is what they dealt with. Sound familiar? 
But whoever shall say in the spirit, give me money or things of that kind, listen not to him. But if he tell you concerning things, uh, I'm sorry, if he tell you concerning others that are in need, that you should give to them, let no one judge him. Fascinating document. So in the first century, they dealt with false teachers. In the 21st century, we still have the same problem. In our day, we have people going so-called apostles, so-called prophets, going from city to city to city. And in our age of technology, through television, from living room to living room to living room, and they're claiming to be evangelists or prophets or apostles. Usually, their message is not Christocentric, it's anthropocentric. We learned this a month ago. In other words, Christ is not the center of their message. They're not teaching the word of God. It's anthropocentric. Man is the center of their message. Often these so-called prophets and apostles live lavish, luxurious lifestyles. And it's so obvious that they're not feeding the flock of God the word of God. They're fleecing the flock. At least it's obvious to some people. Now, as Paul closes his letter to the church of Rome, he warns them to watch out for false teachers. So that's going to be our primary focus, our one focus actually today. And so as we begin, you need to know that the first 16 verses, go ahead and look at Romans 16. The first 16 verses, there's a list of Paul's friends and co-workers in the ministry. And so in the first 16 verses of this final section of Paul's letter, Paul greets at least 26 people by name, which is amazing to me because up to this point in his ministry, Paul had never been to Rome. And so even though he had never been to Rome, he was still so well connected with the Christian community there, had so many friends. So we're not going to take the time uh, to read through every name. Here's why. Number one, I can't pronounce half of them. Okay. And then number two, I really want to get to the subject about Paul's warning against false teachers. And so in your own time this week, you can read through verses 1 through 16, because in addition to the names, there's also uh, some interesting comments Paul makes about a few of these people. All right, so verse 17. If you're looking at Romans 16, 17, just say amen. Here we go. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. There was a huge problem in the church of Rome. And the problem was that there were some people in that church going around causing divisions in the church. The primary way they were causing those divisions was by teaching Doctrine that was contrary to what the church of Rome had already received. Look at verse 17 again. I want to make sure you really get this. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses. Here it is. Contrary to the what? The word doctrine simply means teaching. Contrary to the teaching which you, very important, learned, past tense, and avoid them. So the idea in verse 17 is that the church already received and already learned the truth from the apostles. 
The church in Rome and other churches around the Roman Empire had already received, very important you get this, a body of doctrine from the original apostles. They had already received that teaching, doctrine. They had already learned it. And so by the time the New Testament was completed, there was no need for any new doctrine. This is foundational. This is huge. And it leads to your first point. If you're taking notes, there is no new truth. The scriptures are sufficient. Now you got to get that. If you're new to Christianity, you got to get that. If you've been walking with the Lord for five years, you got to get that. If you've been walking with the Lord for decades, you got to get that point. Otherwise, you will be deceived and you will be duped by people who use flattering words and smooth talk to try to draw you in into false doctrine. Ladies and gentlemen, here's our doctrine right here. And so do you remember when the church was born on the, on the day of Pentecost? You guys remember that? You remember when 3,000 people heard the gospel and they turned from their sins and received Jesus and were baptized? You remember that in Acts chapter 2? First, the church was 120 people in an upper room praying. Now, now all of a sudden, in one day, it's 3,120 people. That's what you call amazing church growth. It wasn't any kind of program or slick seminar. It was the Holy Spirit working. 3,120 people. Now, what did those 3,120 people do? First century church, church in Jerusalem. What did they do? Well, it's one of the foundational verses in our local church here, Acts 2.42. They continued steadfastly in the, what's the next two words? Here it is. Just pause so you see that, okay? That's the original 12. And I'm going to mention in Paul, including it in that. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Who were the apostles? They were men like Peter and James and John and Matthew, people, guys who had walked with Jesus, and then saw him after he rose from the dead. They were the apostles. We also know that later on, Paul came on the scene, and he too saw the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. And Jesus, he walked with Jesus in the, in the desert, and Jesus gave revelation to the apostle Paul. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And so we know that Paul also was an apostle. And so the apostles, the original apostles, what did they do? They went around teaching verbally to churches, and thank God, a lot of what they taught was written down, written down in what we call now the New Testament. And so the New Testament, 27 books, along with the Old Testament, right, is the inspired word of God. And so please, please, please be, be, be very careful for those who would say, you know, I'm speaking in the spirit and I have a new truth from God. Be careful. That's how cults begin. Right? Remember an angel, Moroni, appearing to Joseph Smith? And now you got the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the Book of Mormon. What happened? They deviated from the apostles' doctrine. I got new revelation. I got new truth. And not just a few, millions and millions of people around the world have been duped and deceived. Okay? And so 
Please be aware of those who claim the words they speak in the Spirit are on the, on the same level as the Bible. And we see this in some Pentecostal or charismatic churches. Not all, but some. Right? The words that, that prophet so-and-so are speaking are on the same level of Scripture authoritatively. Not so. And so I've told you before, right? If you ever find yourself in the future in one of these churches where someone's saying, you know, I'm speaking the word of God and it's, it's, it's held at the same level as the scriptures. There's one word. What, what should you do? Run. Run. Thank you for listening to my messages. Run. Don't put up with that. Don't be simple. Paul's going to say, don't be simple later on in our study today. And so we have God's revelation to us right here. We don't need any new doctrine. Now, yes, we do believe in the gift of prophecy still for today. Right? The gift of foretelling and the gifts sometimes of foretelling. But listen, no word of prophecy ever supersedes God's word, ever. And so we also do not believe that church teachings are on the same level as the scriptures. Remember I told you to put your seatbelt on? Let me say that again. We do not believe that church teachings are on the same level of authority as the scriptures. This was the primary reason that I left the Roman Catholic Church. Because the Roman Catholic Church claims that the Pope speaks, whenever the Pope speaks concerning doctrine, whenever the Pope speaks concerning morality, that what he speaks is infallible. Not so. Right? The Roman Catholic Church Church teaches that divine revelation from God comes to the church through two sources, not just one, two. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition. Included in the sacred t- tradition is the sacred magisterium. What is sacred magisterium? Sacred magisterium, a doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church, teaches that the Pope and the bishops have the authority through apostolic succession to teach new doctrine and put that doctrine on the same level as the scriptures. I remember way back in 1985, I was contemplating whether I should stay in the Roman Catholic Church or whether I should move on to an evangelical church. And I sat down with a priest, and I never forget this. He drew a picture. It's been 30 years ago, okay? So I'm pretty sure it was two horses, but I remember he drew this picture. One horse, one horse pulling a cart. The cart's the church. One horse is sacred scripture. The other horse he called sacred tradition, which is the teaching of the Pope and the bishops through apostolic succession, which are on the same level of authority as the scriptures. And that became the number one reason why I left the Roman Catholic Church. Ladies and gentlemen, when human beings are given the power to teach their own doctrines in addition to the Bible, it leads to false teachings. Okay, and so listen, I know this is unpopular. I know this is not politically or religiously correct. I know that me saying this is going to cause some people to stay away from Calvary, Port St. Lucie. But I have a duty before God because I'm going to stand eyeball to eyeball with Jesus Christ to teach you the truth. I have a duty before God. 
And so the Roman Catholic Church teaches the doctrine of apostolic succession. It's not in the Bible. It's very convenient for them, but it's not in the Bible. What does apostolic succession mean? That means that Peter and the 12 passed on their authority as apostles to other men, generation after generation, through the church of Rome, not not the one he's Paul's writing to, the, the Roman Catholic Church, generation after generation throughout history, and that their teachings are on the same level as Scripture, not in the Bible. The Roman Catholic Church teaches infant baptism. They teach that when a, ba- a baby is sprinkled, that's that baby's initial justification. Absolutely false. They teach salvation through cooperation with God's grace through our faith, our works, and the keeping of the sacraments. False. They teach that Mary is the co-mediator along with Christ. And that we should be praying to Mary. We should be praying to the saints. It's nowhere in the Bible. They teach purgatory. That not only is there a heaven and a hell, but there's an intermediate place called purgatory where you have to go um, in case you didn't make it to heaven. And that we should be praying for dead people that God would deliver their souls from purgatory. Nowhere in the Bible. They teach transubstantiation. Pastor Bob hit on this on Wednesday. By the way, we had an amazing communion service on Wednesday. And and I know I'm getting into, you know, feelings here, but I've never sensed the presence of God stronger in this church than while I was sitting right there on Wednesday night um, during that communion service. Absolutely amazing what God did on Wednesday night. You should come to our communion services. But anyway, they, the Catholic Church teaches transubstantiation, that the actual host that the priest lifts up and the wine or the cup, that is the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ, that it's transformed into his actual body. The, the cup is transformed into his actual blood. Nowhere in the scriptures. They added that doctrine many years after New Testament Christianity. They, they teach no assurance of salvation. This to me is the saddest or one of the saddest of all. This is their official doctrine. By, by the way, many Catholics don't even understand or realize all this stuff. They have no idea about the teaching that's coming from Rome. But the teaching from Rome teaches that you cannot have assurance of your salvation, that no one can be sure until you take your last breath. Okay, that's what happens when you have this doctrine of an apostolic succession where men's teachings are put on the same level of Scripture. That's what happens. You get heresy. And so what's the truth? The truth is that the Bible alone is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. Like the Reformers, we believe in the five solas. Sola means Latin for alone. Okay, so we believe in sola scriptura. Scripture alone is our authority. We believe in sola fide, sola gracia, solo Christo, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we believe that all of that is because soli deo gloria, it's to the glory of God alone. So in case I haven't been clear enough, let me be crystal clear with this statement right here, that 
after New Testament Christianity was established by the original apostles, in history, the Roman Catholic Church came along and they added doctrine, false teachings that is contrary to New Testament Christianity. And so what should be our response? What should be our response today? Here it is in Jude verse 3. We should contend. You know what the word contend means? Help me out, somebody, please. What does the word contend mean? Fight. Everybody, please say fight. You say, it's not Christian to fight. It is when it comes to doctrine. We should contend earnestly. I'm not saying get into a physical fist fight or anything. I'm saying we should stand and teach truth in love and let the chips fall. That's what that means. Contend earnestly for the faith, which was, this is, this is so important, once for all delivered, past tense, to the saints. Okay, so what is the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints? The apostles' doctrine. The original apostles. Not other men throughout history through apostolic succession from generation to generation. And please notice that the faith, the apostles' doctrine, was once for all delivered. It's already been delivered to the saints. And so we should never, ever, ever to New Testament Christianity. Is everybody with me? Does this make sense to you guys? Look at verse 17 again. I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and do what? Avoid them. And so just like there were false teachers in the first century, there's false teachers in the 21st century, and we're called to note them, and we're called to avoid them. False teachers are everywhere, by the way. They're in the Roman Catholic Church, and by the way, they're in Protestant churches too, by the thousands. So sad to see over the years, mainline Protestant denominations go off into liberal theological la-la land. So disheartening and so sad. So Catholic churches, Protestant churches, what I'm mostly sad about is there's false teachers in the evangelical churches through the word of faith doctrine, the prosperity gospel, the signs and wonders movement, the positive confession. Listen, false doctrine. You say, Pastor Mike, if you keep teaching like that, you're going to have 10 people on Sunday morning. Right? I'd rather have 10 people on Sunday morning and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, than 10,000, than 10,000, because I didn't speak the truth. And, and the, 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 the false doctrine that's been allowed in, because I'm an evangelical pastor, the false doctrine that's been allowed into evangelical churches deeply, deeply grieves me. So false teachers are on TV. You got to be careful what you watch. They're on the internet. So please do not Google your theology. Do you guys hear that one? Don't Google your theology. There's false teachers all over the internet. And so we have, a, by the way, a whole um, cafe, we're going to keep adding to these books, of sound theologians and, and sound doctrine right out here in our cafe. We have things like gotquestions.org. We have blueletterbible.com. I'm constantly giving you guys books that I recommend, right? And, and pastors that you should listen to. 
And so be careful about Googling your theology. False teachers are on the radio, so be careful who you listen to. And I'm so excited. Uh, there's a new app out there called the K-Wave app. Now, um, I go out every, every summer. I fly out with my wife to the Calvary Chapel uh, Lead Pastors Conference in uh, Costa Mesa, California, to Pastor Chuck Smith's uh, church. He's now with the Lord. Um, Brian Broderson's leading that church now. And one of, th- one of the things I love about going to Southern California is that for years they've had K-Wave radio. K-Wave radio is awesome Bible teaching 24-7. And I, th- I used to think, man, I wish we could afford a radio station in Southern Florida so that we could also provide the same awesome teaching and doctrine that they do in Southern California. Well, now in the age of technology, we can download the app. And so you can download uh, K-Wave app, um, and you can listen to sound teaching and, and great Bible exposition 24-7. Again, that's K-Wave at your app store on your smartphone. And I know some of you are like, I don't understand all of that. Uh, see Pastor Lee. He'll explain everything. <laughs> now, not only are there false teachers on TV, on the internet, on the radio, they also come right to your front door. All over poor St. Lucie. The Jehovah Witnesses. Kingdom Hall. You say, what's so bad about the Jehovah Witnesses? Uh, Everything. (laughs) (laughs) But the worst thing of all is they're teaching another Jesus. A Jesus who cannot save. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. By the way, one of the things I appreciate about the Roman Catholic Church is they've never deviated from the Jesus of the Bible. They've never deviated from the Trinity. So thank God for that, right? But the Jehovah Witnesses have another Jesus. They have a created Jesus. The Jehovah Witness doctrine teaches that before Jesus came to this earth, he was Michael the archangel, not the eternal living God. And so, hey, um, I'd encourage you, if you don't know the Bible very well, please do not answer your door because thousands and thousands and thousands of, and I was shocked to hear this, Baptists have been swooped into the Jehovah Witness Kingdom Halls. Baptists who, nominal Baptists, who um, don't really, uh, have, haven't grown in their faith, haven't um, studied the Word of God, and they're duped, as well as other denominations. So false teachers are on TV, they're on the internet, they're on um, the radio, they, they come to your doorstep, and also... They like to come around vibrant churches, okay? How many of you guys in the summer, um, when you come home at night, um, you get out of your car, you're walking towards your front door on a hot summer night? Um, have you ever seen the bugs swarming around your porch light in your front door, right? And so what do you do? Well, like me, what I do is I put my key in. Stacy, you ready, right? And... <laughs> We open the door, we get in real fast, we shut the door. And the reason we do that is because we don't want the bugs coming in. Porch lights attract bugs. Well, sadly, in the same way, healthy churches that are teaching the word of God and spirit-filled attract false teachers. And they come, and they try to cause division, they try to take their minor doctrine and put it to the top of the list, they try to change me. They try to change the pastors. They try to change the elders. And so what do we have to do when that happens? What we have to do, verse 17, is, last two words, avoid 
them. We've had to do this the last 12 and a half years. And so what do we do? As pastors, we lovingly meet with them and we confront them. And if they're not willing to repent, we shut the door on them. You say, that sounds so harsh. No, that's the most loving thing we could do for you guys. So that you're not deceived and you're not duped. Look at verse 18. For those who are such, you know, these people who are teaching false doctrine and causing division in the church. Those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, Lord Jesus Christ. The word Lord is his deity in the Greek. He's the uncreated, only begotten son of God. He's not Michael the archangel. Those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. And so how do you uh, spot a false teacher? Here's how. They serve their own bellies. In other words, they serve themselves. They're in it for themselves. It's all about them. Jesus gave a great warning in Matthew 7, verse 15. Check it out. Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous what? Bulls. Some people try to say, oh, Jesus was so loving and so kind and so sweet. He would never speak out against false teaching. Oh, my goodness. Have you read the Gospels? Jesus would get in verbal debates with the Pharisees in front of people all the time. All the time. Why? Because he was so loving and gentle and sweet and kind. He didn't want to offend anybody? No, because Jesus understood that a higher priority than unity is truth. Do you hear that? Because in our day, our millennial generation, the number one sin in our culture today is being intolerant. So you have to be tolerant of everybody and all um, their, their, whatever they want to do as far as their behavior Whatever they want to believe, you have to be tolerant of all of that. And if you're intolerant, then that's the number one sin of our generation. Let me tell you something. When it came to truth and error, Jesus was intolerant to the point where he called people ravenous wolves. And so here's a question for you guys. You can answer out loud. What is the most dangerous animal to a flock of sheep? Yeah, a wolf. But not just any wolf. You see, any shepherd can recognize a wolf, but it's those wolves in sheep's clothing. Those are the ones that are really, really hard to recognize. And so why does a wolf come into a flock of sheep? They're hungry. (laughs) That's why. They're hungry. They want to satisfy their own bellies. So why do false teachers come into churches? Because they want to satisfy their own bellies. Bellies. In other words, they want to exploit you for selfish gain. And Paul said in verse 18, look at it again. This is how they pull this off. With smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. Smooth words. You see that, that, that sheep's clothing there around that wolf? 
Okay? When it comes to a false teacher, that's smooth words. That's flattering sheep. That's how they get in to these local churches. Through charm. And then they destroy lives. So what are some, to be very practical this morning, some warning signs of wolves? Well, if you're taking notes, here's some warning signs. Number one, they spread false doctrine. And by the way, wolves can come in the form of priests, they can come in the form of pastors, and they can come in the form of parishioners. There's no no exception here. They can be anywhere. They can have robes, like some of the higher church pastors and priests, or they can have jeans, like us lower church Calvary Chapel guys. Okay? So wolves come in all shapes and forms. It's not what denomination primarily that you're part of. It's what are you teaching? What are you saying? And then even more than that, how are you living? Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. Okay? And so true men of God from the Lord not only teach the word of God and rightfully divide the word of truth, but in, listen to this, if you're with me, say amen here. In their personal lives, they live holy lives. They live holy lives publicly, but more importantly, they live holy lives privately. Wolves don't do that. They're into all kind of sin privately. And so, what are some warning signs? They spread false doctrine. They charm people. They come into a church environment. They come into a a life group environment. And they charm people. Flattering words. Smooth talk. And the sheep are picked off. They manipulate for money. That's one of the, the number one goals of a false teacher. And so they come into the church and they begin to have private conversations with people and begin to borrow money. And what's so sad is that as pastors, we don't hear about this sometimes until three, four, five months later when we get one person and then another person and then another person coming up to us saying, oh, did you know so-and-so has been asking me for money? And not only is it just one person they're asking money, they're asking a bunch of people in the flock. Can I just encourage you that if someone approaches you in this church asking for a loan or asking for money, um, could you talk to one of the pastors or elders privately and just give us that person's name? Because they may be doing that to a lot of people in the church. And so they spread false doctrine. They manipulate for money. They commit sexual immorality. Let me tell you something. Any pastor in a counseling session with a woman, number one, pastors have no... um, no reason to be counseling a woman alone, ever, ever. But any pastor who's counseling a woman and lending that sympathetic ear, right, because the, the woman's husband is a jerk, right, in her estimation, but this pastor, oh, man, he's just like, oh, so awesome. You know how easy it is for some pastors to take advantage of that? So any pastor in a counseling session with a woman who lending a, an ear begins to make sexual advances on that woman is a wolf. I don't care how big their church is. I don't care if they can sing Amazing Grace backwards. They're a wolf. They're a wolf. And by the way, breaks my heart. I didn't know if I should bring it up or not. I decided to. But... One of the greatest examples, because not only 
do some of these pastors or priests go after women? They, have, they also go after children. And one of the greatest examples of a wolf in sheep's clothing was Father John Gagan. Now, very rarely will you ever hear me say someone's name. I think that's the third in 12 and a half years that I've actually named. Very rarely do I do that because I'm very, very, very careful. But Father John Gagan was accused of sexually abusing more than 130 boys over a 30-year period in six different parishes. Finally, in 1998, he was defrocked by Pope John Paul II. 130 boys over 30 years. By the way, Father Gagan is no longer with us. He was murdered in prison. And before that murderer strangled him to death, he said to Father Gagan, you'll never touch another child again. According to the Boston Globe, and I quote, the Archdiocese of Boston settled child molestation claims against at least 70 priests over a 10-year period. That's one archdiocese in Boston. One archdiocese settled the claims of over of at least 70 priests in a 10-year period. Now, I, 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 I don't normally watch R-rated movies. I can't handle all the F-bombs. And I certainly will not watch nudity on television. But there's a movie called Spotlight. It's on Netflix. It's rated R for language. Normally, I would not recommend an R-rated movie. But Spotlight exposes the sex scandal within the Roman Catholic Church Um, And it's not appropriate for children. But if you want to check that out, you can learn more about that sad period of time. Another possible warning sign of a wolf, they cause division within the church. They start whispering campaigns against other people. And so now you have groups of people, factions within the church. Here's what Paul said in Acts 20 concerning uh, wolves. He was speaking to the Ephesian elders. And he said, for I know this, that after my departure, savage Wolves will come in among you. Okay, he's speaking to pastors here. He's saying, beware, they're going to come in among you. And they're not sparing, they're not going to spare the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up. Okay, so there he is in Miletus. He's got a pastor's conference going on. And he knows that all the pastors in that pastor's conference are not the real deal. And he's warning them. How many many of you guys know Satan does not sleep? How many of you guys know that demons are constantly trying to tear apart the church of Christ? And so, from your own selves, pastors, men are going to rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples, here it is, after themselves, therefore watch. Any man of God, I don't care if they're a priest or they're a pastor or, or whatever, if they're drawing disciples to themselves, run. But if they're pointing to Jesus Christ and they're teaching the word of God and they're living holy, private lives, listen to that guy. That's the criteria here. Don't be duped. Don't be deceived. So in ancient days, a shepherd protected his flock and he had a staff and he had a rod. He had a staff with a crook on the end. What would he he do with the staff? He would lovingly guide his sheep. Hey, hey, don't, don't do that. If you separate yourself from the flock, there's a wolf out there. Come on back. In love, right? Come on back. That's why he had the crook. He lovingly tended the sheep. He fed the sheep. 
He guided the sheep. But hanging from that ancient shepherd's belt was a rod. Wooden rod with nails protruding out of it. And with that wooden rod, he would use it to beat the wolves that would try to attack his sheep. And so the shepherd's rod and staff comforted the sheep. Does that sound familiar to you guys? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me to the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they what? Comfort me. And so just like the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, uses a rod and a staff to comfort his sheep, So pastors, under shepherds of local churches have to use both devices to do the same. We have to feed and lead and guide lovingly the sheep. And by the way, we never beat the sheep. Jesus does not beat sheep. If you right now have committed a sin this past week, and you repented of that sin, and right now there's guilt, and you feel like you're on the ground, and you feel like somebody's kicking you while you're down, that is not the good shepherd. He does not use his wooden rod to beat sheep. He loves his sheep. He's lifting up his sheep. He's forgiving his sheep. He's encouraging his sheep. He's teaching his sheep. Right? That's what Jesus does. But for those wolves, he's got a rod. And so when false teachers come into this local church, the pastors and elders are instructed by God to take that rod and Pop him on the head. In Jesus' name. Right? In Jesus' name. Now, I'm not saying literally, we're not, you know, Pastor Jacob doesn't have a big rod out there behind his. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, how do you bop them? You proclaim the truth of God's word. That's how you do it. You equip the saints. You help the saints to know the word of God so that they can spot a wolf. From 100 miles. Someone says, you bop wolves? That sounds so harsh. Let me tell you something. It's not harsh. It's comforting. Would you rather allow us to let the sheep get eaten? And so, of course, we're out of time. So we're going to read verses 19 through the rest of the chapter and comment as we go. And then I have one last point for you. He says in these closing words, For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan, thank God, under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, Paul already said amen in chapter 15, verse 33. Now he says amen again in chapter 16, Verse 20, but he's still still not done. Um, Verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius and Jason, and I don't know how to pronounce that name. My countrymen greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. That's Paul's secretary. He's writing this. Verse 23, Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church greets you. Eratitus and the treasurer of the city greets you, and Portus, a brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. But he's still not done. (laughs) 
And I love this. Now to him who is able to, what's the word there? Establish you. Listen, we're not just after converts. We're after lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. We want to see you get established in the word of God. We want to see you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to see you get conformed to the image of Christ. It's progressive sanctification that takes a lot of time. But we want and we pray that you'll be established according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest. How? By the prophetic scriptures, hundreds of Old Testament prophecies fulfilled literally in history, made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. Verse 27, let's all read it together. Go ahead. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. And then he finally says, amen. Amen. And thus concludes Paul's letter to the church of Rome. Now, let me end with this. Do you believe in the true Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible? You say, who is he? Here he is right here. This is the true Jesus of the Bible. I mean, if you're going to get anything right, please get this right. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. As the second person of the Trinity, he has always existed and was never created. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to pay for our sins, and he rose from the dead on the third day. Bodily, by the way, not just the spirit, bodily. He ascended into heaven, and he will one day return to establish his literal kingdom, not just a kingdom in heaven, literal kingdom here on the earth for a thousand years and then forevermore. That's the true Jesus. My question is, have you put your faith, your hope, your trust in him and him alone? Because ladies and gentlemen, don't make the mistake that I made. The mistake that I made was I thought, yeah, Jesus died for the world and I've got to be a good person and earn my way to heaven. That was a mistake. The reason it's a mistake to say that we have anything to do with our salvation is because, I said this to somebody just recently, whenever we say that we have something to do with our salvation, we are saying simultaneously that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is insufficient. You guys hear that? That's the gospel right there. If you say... It's Jesus plus, I got to do this. You're saying that his sacrifice was insufficient. How many of you believe Christ's sacrifice was completely sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins? Absolutely. So we believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. One of the greatest gifts God can give His children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com. Click on Home, then Knowing Christ.